Everybody wants to come preach at Woodland Hills because of the music. I mean, good music covers up a multitude of bad preaching. We've been experiencing that for many years in this place. Man, how blessed it is. Hallelujah. Whew. All right, turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 16 is where we'll start, actually, the last verse of chapter 15. But Joshua uh, 16 is where we actually start off this morning. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here. Pray for me. I, I still cannot use a typewriter fast, so I have to write my notes out. I can't read what I've written. And uh, they, they, they get, is anybody here like that? They, the writing gets cold, and you can't make out what you've said. So uh, remember, I'm on pain pills, and I'm looking at, at uh, hard print. So don't hold me accountable for anything uh, that I say this morning, all right? Uh, make sure God says it. Joshua, if you would, look in chapter 15, verse 63. should be right before 16. And stand with me, please, if you would, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. 15, verse 63 says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. And then look down, if you would, at uh, Joshua chapter 16, verse 10. And they drove them not out of the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. And then look with me, if you would, down to chapter 17, verse 12 and 13. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Now look at verse 13. Yet it came to pass... When the children of Israel were waxen strong, when they became strong enough to drive them out, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Father, thank you this morning for your word, and I pray, God, you will speak to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit have complete control. Lord, we sense that you're in this place, and you're wanting to do something great today. Keep us out of the way, and let your way be done in every heart soul in this auditorium today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The lesson of life, you've heard me say this before in the book of Joshua, but the lesson of life that we need to understand as we go through and walk in victory in the book of Joshua is this. A job is not finished based on how much you've done. A job is finished when the job gets finished. I've told you that illustration before. I, Becky would always have the kids raking leaves and picking up pine cones everywhere we live. Uh, that's why when we move where we are, we cut down every pine tree we could find. And I would say, how many did y'all finish picking up the pine cones? They'd say, Daddy, we filled three wheelbarrows up with pine cones. That's wonderful, but that's not what the question is. The question is, did you pick up all of the pine cones? That's what the question is. Did you clean your room? I've been in there working 20 minutes cleaning my room, Daddy. That's wonderful. But that's not the question. The question is, did you clean your room? Is it finished? And then, of course, they're very smart. Kids are very smart. You have to nail them down. Did you finish your homework? Dad, I have done my English and I've done my history. 
they just forgot to tell you that they didn't do their arithmetic, or I don't know that they even have arithmetic anymore in school, but math, whatever they call it today. Uh, but I haven't done that. You haven't finished the job until the job's finished. If I ask you today, senior adult, young person, married couple, are you faithfully serving God? Some of you senior adults will tell me, Brother Charles, I've taught Sunday school for 30 years. That's not the question. That's not the question. The question is, are you faithfully serving God now? See, the job's not finished until the job's finished. What makes you think you can teach Sunday school 10 years and suddenly the job's over with? It's not over until it's finished. If you had an employee, let's say this employer has an employee and he gets paid 40 hours a week, work, normal work week is 8 to 5. And the employer notices that every day this week he's slipped out at 1 o'clock. I know none of y'all would ever do that. And so the employer that week puts in his check and pays him half. He said, because you slipped out at 1 o'clock. And then he puts another little note in there that says, if you want this job, you stay to 5 o'clock. Well, the guy gets upset. The nerve of the employer wanting me to work to 5 o'clock. I mean, he's upset. So they fire him. He gets bent out of shape, and you know the rest of that story. Every one of you in this room, if you got any sense, there may be a couple in here that don't, but every one of us would agree this morning that an employer has a right to fire that guy because he's not working his hours. And yet many of us in this room today, God's given us a job to do, and we've partially done it. And then we come back to God and expect him to give us a full blessing. The job's not finished until the job's finished. I think this morning as we are talking about in Joshua, my, my title would be, are, are you enjoying the very best? Because, see, there's a lot of people that's enjoying a lot of good things, but God wants us to enjoy the best things. Are you enjoying the very best? The Bible says flee fornication. You know that you're addicted to porn on your phone. But God, I came to church last Sunday night. What more do you want? I want full obedience. The Bible says that we're to tithe, and then on top of that tithe, we're to give an offering. God, I gave $10 last week, and I gave $3 this week. What more do you want? I want total obedience. Full obedience. Ephesians says that we're to raise our children in the nurturing and admonition of the Lord. You haven't prayed with them in months. The Bible's so dusty you could write your name on it on your coffee table. But you said, Lord, I brought them to Sunday school two times last month. What more do you want? I want full obedience. You see, what God wants and what God deserves and what God demands is full obedience. I've tried to drive this home. Partial obedience is total disobedience. When you're partially obedient, that means you're still being disobedient. And we're blinded many times by our own disobedience. But just today, understand this, we're not going to walk in victory until we're totally obedient with Christ. 
Their inability to possess all of the land here is nothing more than their disobedience in part. They've not done what God told them to do. I deal with Christians. I deal with myself. I deal with families. I deal with churches that are limping along, trying to hold on, barely getting by because of partial obedience. Why, why did they do it? Why do we do it? Let me give you three reasons, and we're through. Number one is this. They walked in partial obedience because they lacked a sense of duty to the family. They lacked a sense of duty to the family. You see, the first failure comes after they had conquered Jericho, and of course they got beat at Ai, and then they went back up and took Ai. The first failure comes here, though, after the land has been settled up and allotted to different ones. They were together when they took Jericho. That's chapters 8 through 14. There's one head knocking uh, Canaanite after the other all through those chapters. Now the land's been divided. The people begin to go in and settle down on their own homes. And they start going their own way. Now you say, well, why, why is that a problem? Well, if you look back a couple, uh, just a few pages to Numbers chapter 32. The Bible says in Numbers 32 verse 5, Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. See, Reuben and Gad had already gone down this road. They had already said, hey, I know the promised land looks great, but we're herdsmen, and this land over here on the other side of the Jordan, it looks good too. It's good for cattle and livestock. So you guys go on and take whatever you need to take. Uh, but but we, we, we just would like to stay here. We'd like to stay on this side of the Jordan. And, and, and then, <laughs> listen to what he says on down in Numbers 32. Uh, he, he's uh, uh, in verse 14. Behold, you're risen up in your father's stead. You know what he's saying here? He said, you're just like your daddy's. You're just like your daddy's was. Forty years ago, we sent a team over there, and your daddy's came back and said, we can't do it. Looks to me like the nut hadn't fall very far, uh, fallen very far from the tree. He said, you're just like your daddy's. And an and, and increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. Then if you look down at verse 20. Let me clarify some scripture here that everybody uses, throws around, which is completely out of context. Moses said unto them, if ye will do this thing, what they're saying is, hey, we're not trying to get out of this. We're going to go fight over there with you. But when we fight, we want to come back over here on this side of the Jordan. We'll, as long as there's fighting going on, we'll be with you. We'll do it. And then Moses says this, he said, all right, if you'll do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he had driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Say, so, well, okay, they've come to an agreement. But, verse 23, but if ye will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. If I've heard that scripture one time, I've heard that a million times. Be sure your sin's going to find you out. 
has nothing to do with what we're doing today. This scripture is a spiritual scripture. What he's saying here in context is, if you don't help your brothers and sisters acquire all that God has allowed for them to require, then your sin is going to find you out. I was in a meeting this last week. Testimonies are good. You know, I was talking with these three people, and this one lady that was sitting there said, I just need to share a testimony. I know your church runs buses and everybody kind of looks down on buses, all of that stuff today. But she said here about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that, our church had an outreach event. And we were in a trailer park and we were talking to a man and our team led him to the Lord. And then she said it was about five minutes later your church bus pulled up out in front. And a little boy got off that bus, running to the father to announce to him that he had been saved in children's ministry that night. And the father's running to the little boy to announce to him that he had been saved in the home that night. Now, folks, that's what God has got set up. That is, that's got God written all over it. <laughs> you see, God never intended for Canaan to be conquered by tribe, individually tribe. He was always, his intention was the entire nation would go and conquer Canaan. And then they would divide it up and live in the land. It was a whole family was supposed to work together. The plan was this. Nobody would rest until everyone could rest. But now, it's every man for himself. We can't conquer. God can't give it to us. Because too many of us, today even, don't have blood on our blade. I want to tell you what's happened to a lot of folk. You can like it or you can weep or you can get mad and write me an email. But a lot of the problems we've got in this nation today and in this world today and in our churches today is some of us have beat our swords into plowshares prematurely. There's still a war going on. There'll come a time when we will beat those swords into plowshares. Well, I just don't want to get involved. I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle no feathers. <laughs> no duty. To the family. We have it in the church. Remember, I'm on pain medicine. We got folks that, will, that are doing a tremendous job. And I want to be honest with you. We don't have that problem here like I've seen it everywhere else I've ever been. But it's here. We'll have people, parents who are working in the children's ministry. Boy, they'll do anything. And then their children graduate out of that. And then they suddenly said, hey, y'all on your own now. We're going back to the other side of Jordan. We got people working with youth ministry until their kids graduate out of high school. And you're on your own now. We, we, we fought while we were there. We're going back to the other side of Jordan. 
And we're sitting here saying, hey, I I know you can go anywhere you want to go, but how about helping us conquer what God has given us? How about staying true and faithful and doing what God called you to do? Sunday school teacher, been teaching 20 years, the class has grown, and you say, somebody else can step up and take this now. I'm going to the other side of Jordan. (laughs) They lacked a devotion to the family. Let me give you the second thing. They also lacked total surrender to the Father with a capital F. Total surrender to the Father. You see, God commanded these people to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. That was a command of God. In fact, God went so far as to say, you don't even have to do any work. You just head in that direction, and I'll fight all of them for you, even if I have to use bugs to do it. I'll get them out. I'll take care of it. But see, there's no total surrender. We even change that word surrender now. We don't even like to use that. That's not politically correct. What we want to use is a word commitment. Well, I'm committed to the Lord. Well, you're somebody, aren't you? So we use that word commitment. It's like, I'm doing something for the Lord. <laughs> you ain't doing squat. You need to put that other word back in there. I'm surrendering to the Lord. See, last week that we learned that when, when we died ourselves. That's when God can use us. I, I've, never, I've never had a funeral with somebody laying here in a casket where they got up and said, Preacher, I don't like that tie you got on today. Couldn't you say a little something more about me? They never move. You know why they don't move? They're totally surrendered to death. And when we are totally surrendered to the cause of Christ and to the calling that God has on us, I want to tell you, we, we, <laughs> oh my goodness. See, their son, I, I, I'm going to get in trouble. Their sons could not drive them out. And I'm thinking, why, why is that listed here? Because we're going to find out in Joshua 18 a little bit later on that Jerusalem was allotted to the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin is up here at the north. Jerusalem's the most southern point of that. And here's Judah here. Jerusalem is, is known as a border town, no man's land. Now, what should have happened? I, and I don't know. Maybe the tribe of Benjamin was sitting over here wondering when Judah's going to make a move to drive them out. And then maybe the tribe of ben, uh, Benjamin's over here wondering, uh, or Judah's wondering when Benjamin's going to make a move to drive them out. And, and they just kind of back and forth. You see, everybody's job is nobody's responsibility. God had given this assignment to the whole nation. Everything within the kingdom of God is everyone's responsibility. I've been 46 years preaching trying to bust up this idea of we've got to build our church. Our church is the greatest church in town. No, we've got to build the kingdom of God. Let God do all the rest of that stuff. There was an important job to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. 
Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. No total surrender. You ever noticed how some people work harder trying to get out of serving the Lord than if they just went ahead and served the Lord? <laughs> yeah? Somebody needs to pick up the track. Well, look, you walked by it. Why don't you bend over and pick it up? Somebody ought to teach that class. Go look in the mirror. I am somebody. Tell yourself that. You're somebody. You're created in the image of God. Quit trying to put off on other people maybe what God's already called you to do. If there's something that God called you to do and you're looking at others, let me just ask you this. Isn't the command of God enough for you? I mean, isn't that enough? You say, well, yeah, but, but I know this needs doing. There's plenty of people, though, they need to step up to the plate. They need to learn to do that. Hey, I know Benjamin and Judah together should have gone together and wiped out the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That would have been much easier. But I'll tell you what else would have worked. I think it would. I think maybe if somebody would have girded their loins for battle and somebody got up and said, listen, y'all can sit at the house if you want to. You can disobey the Father. But as Joshua was going to say later on, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you don't do. I've got a commandment from my Lord, and I'm going to obey. It's called total surrender. They lack the devotion to the family. They lack the total surrender to the Father. And then, thirdly, they lack the discernment for the future. Discernment for the future. We live in a right-now generation. <laughs> I mean, we'll put a bag of popcorn in for two minutes and stand there and yell at the bag because it's not popping fast enough. <laughs> I was at McDonald's the other day, and this is true. I hit my hand on the dash and I said, I've been here three minutes. What's wrong with these people? I mean, we want instantly gratified right now, right now. But I want to tell you, we don't understand delayed gratification because we want it instantly right now. But we're not living, life is not a right now life. You'll never walk in victory until you understand this principle, that some of the good you do in your life you may not realize it for 10 years, 15 years. You may not realize it until your life's over with and we're there on the day of judgment. There's a flip-flop to that. Some of the evil you've done might not show up. It may be. That's why judgment's at the end. See, if you're sowing good here today... Those seeds will continue to sow, and you may die, but those seeds will continue to be sown. And you'll give an account for it, a reward for it on Judgment Day. If you're here today sowing evil, and you think, well, whew, thank God when he died, man, that died. No, it didn't die with him. Those seeds were sown of rebellion, and they're going to come back to, to bite you. 
I mean, it may not bite you in the leg. It may not bite you in the hand. It may not bite you in the backside of your britches. It may bite you in something worse. It may bite you in your kids. It may bite you in your grandkids. They're sitting here and they're saying, hey, we're, we're settling down now. We've got houses that we didn't build. We've got wells that we didn't dig. We've got gardens we didn't plant. We've got vineyards we didn't tend to. Life is great. What about the Jebusites still living in Jerusalem? They're not bothering me. They're not bothering me. What about all the things we see going on today? I want, I want to just put a little interlude in here. When someone digs up something I did 30 years ago, I'm going to do just like Dr. Paige Patterson. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to walk out the door. And you're on your own. I've been here 14 years faithfully preaching the word of God. And when somebody can come back and say, well, this guy did this 30 years ago. And his whole group turn on him. I'm telling you, that's just about as sorry a a loyalty as I've seen. That's just about it. There was a time when men of God, I remember when I was a young boy working in the sawmill there with my daddy. We'd have revival. They'd shut that whole sawmill down. That evangelist and that preacher would go through that whole sawmill encouraging men and and, and praying with men and inviting them to come to the revival. They did the same thing for the Methodists they did for the Baptist. I'll never forget. In uh, 1975, I was in history. I love history. East Texas Baptist. There were two history teachers Dr. Seth Walton, and I loved Dr. Seth Walton. I loved him. I just couldn't sit in his class. Dr. Walton would just talk and look around up here at the stars. He never would look at you. And I thought, I'll sleep through this whole thing. Somebody got to look at me and make sure I'm awake. The other one, they said, man, she's tough. Dr. Polly Davis. We called her No Neck Davis. She came in that room, and she started talking history when she got in there. And she would walk up and down the aisle looking at you in the eye to make sure you were awake, talking history the whole time. And one day she said one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. She said, if things keep going the way they're going, there'll come a time when the pendulum will cross. And those behind the Iron Curtain and in communist countries will have more freedom than we do in America. And we all just died laughing. We just died laughing. That's exactly what's happened. Everything got to be politically correct here. Well, I'm telling you, you didn't hire a politically correct preacher. I go to our schools. Oh, no, you can't bring a Bible in here and preach. Oh, my goodness, no. Good grief, that doesn't have any place in our place. I'm walking down a dirt road in Kenya. Miss Barbie was on that trip. Were you you with us, Barbie? Were you at that school we went to? You wasn't at that. That was just me and that interpreter. I I tell you, I'm so hot. I'm so tired. And uh, I thought, my soul, there's nothing out here but just woods. We topped a hill. 
And here come three Kenyans to greet us. And I asked my interpreter, I said, you, you don't think they're coming to cut our head off or anything, do you? Do, do we need to be running to get a head start on them? And I, no, 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 no. And back there nestled in the woods was a, was a school with like 700 kids in it in the middle of nowhere. And they wanted to know what we were doing. A white man walking down a road in Kenya is a big deal. You want to know why he's there. And so the interpreter told him and everything. They took us off that road, put us in a room, brought us cold water, brought us fresh fruit, got everything set, emptied that whole school with students out under the trees, and I preached for 30 minutes to them using the Word of God. And all I could think about, Dr. Polly Davis. I mean, you can go preach the Bible in Hungary, Poland. They'll shut down businesses. They'll shut down schools. They're hungry for the Word of God. Everywhere but America. Everywhere but America. They lack discernment. See, and I've shared this with you, but I want to give it to you again because I want you to understand it. Discernment is not telling the difference between right and wrong. You've got a, a Bible here that will tell you what's right and what's wrong. Discernment is telling the difference between what is almost right and what is right. Because the devil will attack you and he'll make you, you're watching some of these people on TV who are almost right. They're just crazy as a road lizard. <laughs> One of the commentators I, I read, I looked at it, he said discernment into the future, discernment was looking into the future and seeing what is to come from the decisions made today. That's rich now, that's deep. Looking into the future and being able to tell what decisions you've made today, how that's going to affect the future. You see in Judges 3, 5, later on, this same group, they've been in slavery eight years. Eight years. Because why? Because these people's parents did not obey God. Mm. They said, hey... Let, let's make them our slaves. Let's give tribute to them. I mean, we don't want to fetch water. We don't want to cut wood. We don't want to haul supplies around. We don't want to plow. We, we've got a better idea than God. Let's don't get rid of them. A lot of times we call people who have discernment, and I'm just telling you the truth now, we call them pickers of knit because they're knit pickers. But they've got discernment to see in the future, if we do this, this is what's going to happen to our kids and our grandkids. And while the greatest generation that's ever lived, I think, on the face of the earth, that came out of World War II, that rebuilt America, the greatest generation of all sat right here and let them take the Word of God out of schools and governments and everything else. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, let me just make a couple more statements. I'm through, I promise. 
The spiritual slave that you choose today to have could very well be the spiritual slave that enslaves your children or your grandchildren. And I'm going to get real nosy here just for a moment. I don't mean to be ugly. I hope you know my heart. But that old boy that you keep letting come around your house, you know he's not right with God. You know he's not living right. But you let him keep hanging around your house, he's going to come back to slavery. That little old girl that's loose morals and and, and, you know, you say, well, I feel sorry for her. You know, she's living a rough life and all of this. She's going to be raising your grandchildren. Uh, all because these people compromised on separation. That, that thing you keep doing, you put off. I don't want to get in the middle of all of this, but I just want to mention it. A lot of things have happened in the last 40 years in our country and in our Christian culture. I'm still one of those that don't think alcohol has a place anywhere. But I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people that can handle a drink and not bother them at all. There really are. And... Amen. But you see, the problem is you're sowing those seeds that those kids are going to see. And what you can handle this time, the next generation cannot handle it. Delayed obedience is the same thing as partial obedience. We didn't accept delayed obedience from our kids. I, I wouldn't. Uh, when I told one of them to take out the trash, now this don't apply for husbands and wives. <laughs> if I tell my wife I'm going to take out the trash, I don't have to be reminded two weeks of it. I'll get it out. But when I told one of my kids to take out the trash when they were kids, they knew better than to say, well, I'll think about it. They knew better. And yet, some of the very things that God has told us to do, we sit here and say, Lord, I'll pray about that. Well, what are you praying about? If God told you to do it, do it. What are you praying about? Well, it's delayed obedience. No, that's called disobedience. You remember in Judges 3, now these kids of the generation before, I can't help but wonder if there's not still some Jewish daddies who are alive over here that's not looking out there at their kids in slavery and in, in, in bondage over there to the Ephraimites and all of that. And just cannot help. The Bible says God delivered them for eight years. Don't blame it on the devil. It was God. Delivered them over there eight years. I can't help if there wasn't some thing, but there's some daddy sitting over there saying, baby, I'm so sorry. 
son, I'm so sorry you're having to go what you're going through. It's just because I wasn't the man I needed to be 25 years ago. And because of that, you're going through this. I'm so sorry. See, you got folk like Lot. I got to quit. He's pitching his tent toward Sodom. You know why? Because he's got green grass on his mind today. And he hasn't thought about the fire and brimstone of the future. I'm telling you this morning, I pray this service would be a time when families could grip together. Say, look, because I want to tell you, in the middle of all this stuff, it's not all doom and gloom. You repent and get your heart right with God. God can change any situation you're in. God can do whatever he wants to. And I can't help but think today that maybe there's some mamas and daddies that are saying, you know, we've not done what God told us to do. And I may not can go back and help the past, but I can prepare for the future. I can do some things right. Man, I got to quit. Dear God, there are those in this place today that maybe they're sitting here lost without you because of something that's happened 10, 20 years ago. Oh, God, I'm praying today that your Holy Spirit would break the bondage and that today they would be saved. That they would realize they're a sinner and realize they need to come to Jesus and be saved. There are others in this place that they, they've worked for you and they've done good for you. But, Lord, the truth is they, they quit somewhere along the line because of their lack of total surrender to the Father. Would you remind us again in this place that everything we have is because of your grace. Everybody wants to come preach at Woodland Hills because of the music. I mean, good music covers up a multitude of bad preaching. <laughs> We've been experiencing that for many years in this place. Man, how blessed it is. Hallelujah. Whew. All right, turn if you would to the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 16 is where we'll start. Actually, the last verse of chapter 15. But Joshua, everybody wants to come preach at Woodland Hills because of the music. I mean, good music covers up a multitude of bad preaching. <laughs> We've been experiencing that for many years in this place. Man, how blessed it is. Hallelujah. Whew. All right, turn if you would to the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 16 is where we'll start. Actually, the last verse of chapter 15. But Joshua uh, 16 is where we actually start off this morning. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here. Pray for me. I, I still cannot use a typewriter fast, so I have to write my notes out. I can't read what I've written. And uh, they, they, they get, is anybody here like that? They, the writing gets cold, and you can't make out what you've said. So uh, remember, I'm on pain pills, and I'm looking at, at uh, hard print. So... Don't hold me accountable for anything uh, that I say this morning, all right? Uh, make sure God says it. Joshua 
If you would, look in chapter 15, verse 63, should be right before 16, and stand with me, please, if you would, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. 15, verse 63 says, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. And then look down, if you would, at uh, Joshua chapter 16, verse 10, and they drove them not out of the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. And then look with me, if you would, down to chapter 17, verse 12 and 13. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Now look at verse 13. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong, when they became strong enough to drive them out, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Father, thank you this morning for your word. And I pray, God, you will speak to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit have complete control. Lord, we sense that you're in this place and you're wanting to do something great today. Keep us out of the way and let your way be done in every heart, soul in this auditorium today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The lesson of life, you've heard me say this before in the book of Joshua, but the lesson of life that we need to understand as we go through and walk in victory in the book of Joshua is this. A job is not finished based on how much you've done. A job is finished when the job gets finished. I've told you that illustration before. I, Becky would always have the kids raking leaves and picking up pine cones everywhere we live. Uh, that's why when we move where we are, we cut down every pine tree we could find. And I would say, how many did y'all finish picking up the pine cones? They'd say, Daddy, we filled three wheelbarrows up with pine cones. That's wonderful, but that's not what the question is. The question is, did you pick up all of the pine cones? That's what the question is. Did you clean your room? I've been in there working 20 minutes cleaning my room, Daddy. That's wonderful. But that's not the question. The question is, did you clean your room? Is it finished? And then, of course, they're very smart. Kids are very smart. You have to nail them down. Did you finish your homework? Dad, I have done my English and I've done my history. They just forgot to tell you that they didn't do their arithmetic or I don't know that they even have arithmetic anymore in school, but math, whatever they call it today. Uh, but I haven't done that. You haven't finished the job until the job's finished. If I ask you today, senior adult, young person, married couple are you faithfully serving God some of you senior adults will tell me brother Charles I've taught Sunday school for 30 years that's not the question that's not the question the question is are you faithfully serving God now see the job's not finished until the job's finished what makes you think you can teach Sunday school 10 years and suddenly the job's over with it's not over until it's finished. If you had an employee, let's say this employer has an employee, and 
He gets paid 40 hours a week. Work, normal work week is 8 to 5. And the employer notices that every day this week he slipped out at 1 o'clock. I know none of y'all would ever do that. And so the employer that week puts in his check and pays him half. He said, because you slipped out at 1 o'clock. And then he puts another little note in there that says, if you want this job, you stay to 5 o'clock. Well, the guy gets upset. The nerve of the employer wanted me to work to 5 o'clock. I mean, he's upset. So they fire him. He gets bent out of shape, and you know the rest of that story. Every one of you in this room, if you got any sense, there may be a couple in here that don't, but every one of us would agree this morning that an employer has a right to fire that guy because he's not working his hours. And yet many of us in this room today, God's given us a job to do, and we've partially done it. And then we come back to God and expect him to give us a full blessing. The job's not finished until the job's finished. I think this morning as we are talking about in Joshua, my my title would be, are, are you enjoying the very best? Because, see, there's a lot of people that's enjoying a lot of good things, but God wants us to enjoy the best things. Are you enjoying the very best? The Bible says flee fornication. You know that you're addicted to porn on your phone. But God, I came to church last Sunday night. What more do you want? I want full obedience. The Bible says that we're to tithe, and then on top of that tithe, we're to give an offering. God, I gave $10 last week, and I gave $3 this week. What more do you want? I want total obedience. Full obedience. Ephesians says that we're to raise our children in the nurturing and admonition of the Lord. You haven't prayed with them in months. The Bible's so dusty you could write your name on it on your coffee table. But you said, Lord, I brought them to Sunday school two times last month. What more do you want? I want full obedience. You see, what God wants and what God deserves and what God demands is full obedience. I've tried to drive this home. Partial obedience is total disobedience. When you're partially obedient, that means you're still being disobedient. And we're blinded many times by our own disobedience. But just today, understand this, we're not going to walk in victory until we're totally obedient with Christ. Their inability to possess all of the land here is nothing more than their disobedience in part. They've not done what God told them to do. I deal with Christians. I deal with myself. I deal with families. I deal with churches that are limping along, trying to hold on, barely getting by because of partial obedience. Why why did they do it? Why did we do it? Let me give you three reasons, and we're through. Number one is this. They walked in partial obedience because they lacked a sense of duty to the family. They lacked a sense of duty to the family. You see, the first failure comes after they had conquered Jericho, and of course they got beat at Ai, and then they went back up and took Ai. The first failure comes here, though, after the land has been settled up and allotted to different ones. 
They were together when they took Jericho. That's chapters 8 through 14. There's one head knocking uh, Canaanite after the other all through those chapters. Now the land's been divided. The people begin to go in and settle down on their own homes. And they start going their own way. Now you say, well, why, why is that a problem? Well, if you look back a couple, uh, just a few pages to Numbers chapter 32, the Bible says in Numbers 32 verse 5, Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. See, Reuben and Gad had already gone down this road. They had already said, hey, I know the promised land looks great, but we're herdsmen, and this land over here on the other side of the Jordan, it looks good too. It's good for cattle and livestock. So you guys go on and take whatever you need to take, uh, but, but we, we, we just would like to stay here. We'd like to stay on this side of the Jordan. And, and, and then, <laughs> listen to what he says on down in Numbers 32. Uh, he, he's uh, uh, in verse 14. Behold, you're risen up in your father's stead. You know what he's saying here? He said, you're just like your daddies. You're just like your daddies was. Forty years ago, we sent a team over there, and your daddies came back and said, we can't do it. Looks to me like the nut hadn't fall very far, uh, fallen very far from the tree. He said, you're just like your daddies. And an and, and increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. Then if you look down at verse 20. Let me clarify some scripture here that everybody uses, throws around, which is completely out of context. Moses said unto them, if ye will do this thing, what they're saying is, hey, we're not trying to get out of this. We're going to go fight over there with you. But when we fight, we want to come back over here on this side of the Jordan. We'll, as long as there's fighting going on, we'll be with you. We'll do it. And then Moses says this, he said, all right, if you'll do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he had driven out his enemies from before him and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Say, so, well, okay, they've come to an agreement. But, verse 23, but if ye will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. If I've heard that scripture one time, I've heard that a million times. Be sure your sin's going to find you out. has nothing to do with what we're doing today. This scripture is a spiritual scripture. What he's saying here in context is, if you don't help your brothers and sisters acquire all that God has allowed for them to require, then your sin is going to find you out. I was in a meeting this last week. Testimonies are good. You know, I was talking with these three people, and this one lady that was sitting there said, I just need to share a testimony. I know your church runs buses and Everybody kind of looks down on buses, all of that stuff today. But she said, here about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that, our church had an outreach event. And we were in a trailer park, and we were talking to a man, and our team led him to the Lord. And then she said it was about five minutes later, 
your church bus pulled up out in front. And a little boy got off that bus, running to the Father to announce to him that he had been saved in children's ministry that night. And the father's running to the little boy to announce to him that he had been saved in the home that night. Now, folks, that's what God has got set up. That is, that's got God written all over it. <laughs> you see, God never intended for Canaan to be conquered by tribe, individually tribe. He was always, his intention was the entire nation go and conquer Canaan, and then they would divide it up and live in the land. It was a whole family was supposed to work together. The plan was this. Nobody would rest until everyone could rest. But now, it's every man for himself. We can't conquer. God can't give it to us because too many of us today even, don't have blood on our blade. I want to tell you what's happened to a lot of folk. You can like it or you can weep or you can get mad and write me an email. But a lot of the problems we've got in this nation today and in this world today and in our churches today is some of us have beat our swords into plowshares prematurely. There's still a war going on. There'll come a time when we will beat those swords into plowshares. Well, I just don't want to get involved. I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle no feathers. <laughs> no duty to the family. We have it in the church. Remember, I'm on pain medicine. <laughs> we got folks that, will, that are doing a tremendous job. And I want to be honest with you, we don't have that problem here like I've seen it everywhere else I've ever been. But it's here. We'll have people, parents who are working in the children's ministry. Boy, they'll do anything. And then their children graduate out of that. And then they suddenly said, hey, y'all on your own now. We're going back to the other side of Jordan. We got people working with youth ministry. Until their kids graduate out of high school, and you're on your own now. We, we, we fought while we were there. We're going back to the other side of Jordan. And we're sitting here saying, hey, I, I know you can go anywhere you want to go, but how about helping us conquer what God has given us? How about staying true and faithful and doing what God called you to do? Sunday school teacher, been teaching 20 years, the class has grown, and you say, somebody else can step up and take this now. I'm going to the other side of Jordan. <laughs> they lacked a devotion to the family. Let me give you the second thing. They also lacked total surrender to the Father with a capital F. Total surrender to the Father. You see, God commanded these people to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. That was a command of God. In fact, 
God went so far as to say, you don't even have to do any work. You just head in that direction and I'll fight all of them for you. Even if I have to use bugs to do it, I'll get them out. I'll take care of it. But see, there's no total surrender. We even change that word surrender now. We don't even like to use that. That's not politically correct. What we want to use is a word commitment. Well, I'm committed to the Lord. Well, you're somebody, aren't you? So when you use that word commitment, it's like, I'm doing something for the Lord. <laughs> you ain't doing squat. <laughs> you need to put that other word back in there. I'm surrendering to the Lord. See, last week that we learned that when, when we died ourselves, that's when God can use us. I, I've, never, I've never had a funeral with somebody laying here in a casket where they got up and said, Preacher, I don't like that tie you got on today. Couldn't you say a little something more about me? They never move. You know why they don't move? They're totally surrendered to death. And when we are totally surrendered to the cause of Christ and to the calling that God has on us, I want to tell you, we, <laughs> oh my goodness. See, their son, I, I, I'm going to get in trouble. Their sons could not drive them out. And I'm thinking, why, why is that listed here? Because we're going to find out in Joshua 18, a little bit later on, that Jerusalem was allotted to the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin is up here at the north. Jerusalem's the most southern point of that. And here's Judah here. Jerusalem is, is known as a border town. No man's land. Now, what should have happened? I, and I don't know. Maybe the tribe of Benjamin was sitting over here wondering when Judah's going to make a move to drive them out. And then maybe the tribe of ben, uh, Benjamin's over here wondering, uh, or Judah's wondering when Benjamin's going to make a move to drive them out. And, and they just kind of back and forth. You see, everybody's job is nobody's responsibility. God had given this assignment to the whole nation. Everything within the kingdom of God is everyone's responsibility. I've been 46 years preaching, trying to bust up this idea. Of we've got to build our church. Our church is the greatest church in town. No, we've got to build the kingdom of God. Let God do all the rest of that stuff. There was an important job to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. No total surrender. You ever noticed how some people work harder trying to get out of serving the Lord than if they just went ahead and served the Lord? <laughs> yeah? Somebody needs to pick up the trash. Well, look, you walk by it. Why don't you bend over and pick it up? Somebody ought to teach that class. Go look in the mirror. I am somebody. Tell yourself that. You're somebody. You're created in the image of God. Quit trying to put off on other people maybe what God's already called you to do. If there's something that God called you to do, 
and you're looking at others, let me just ask you this. Isn't the command of God enough for you? I mean, isn't that enough? You say, well, but, but I know this needs doing. There's plenty of people, though, they need to step up to the plate. They need to learn to do that. Hey, I know Benjamin and Judah together should have gone together and wiped out the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That would have been much easier. But I'll tell you what else would have worked. I think it would. I think maybe if somebody would have girded their loins for battle and somebody got up and said, listen, y'all can sit at the house if you want to. You can disobey the Father. But as Joshua was going to say later on, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you don't do. I've got a commandment from my Lord, and I'm going to obey. It's called total surrender. They lack the devotion to the family. They lack the total surrender to the Father. And then, thirdly, they lack the discernment for the future. Discernment for the future. We live in a right-now generation. <laughs> I mean, we'll put a bag of popcorn in for two minutes and stand there and yell at the bag because it's not popping fast enough. <laughs> I was at McDonald's the other day, and this is true. I hit my hand on the dash and I said, I've been here three minutes. What's wrong with these people? I mean, we want instantly gratified right now, right now. But I want to tell you, we don't understand delayed gratification because we want it instantly right now. But we're not living, life is not a right now life. You'll never walk in victory until you understand this principle, that some of the good you do in your life you may not realize it for 10 years, 15 years. You may not realize it until your life's over with and we're there on the day of judgment. There's a flip-flop to that. Some of the evil you've done might not show up. It may be. That's why judgment's at the end. See, if you're sowing good here today... Those seeds will continue to sow, and you may die, but those seeds will continue to be sown. And you'll give an account for it, a reward for it on Judgment Day. If you're here today sowing evil, and you think, well, whew, thank God when he died, man, that died. No, it didn't die with him. Those seeds were sown of rebellion. And they're going to come back to, to bite you. I mean, it may not bite you in the leg. It may not bite you in the hand. It may not back in the, bite you in the backside of your britches. It may bite you in something worse. It may bite you in your kids. It may bite you in your grandkids. They're sitting here and they're saying, hey, we're, we're settling down now. We've got houses that we didn't build. We've got wells that we didn't dig. We've got gardens we didn't plant. We've got vineyards we didn't tend to. Life is great. What about the Jebusites still living in Jerusalem? They're not bothering me. They're not bothering me. What about all the things we see going on today? I want, I want to just put a little interlude in here. When someone digs up something I did 30 years ago, I'm going to do just like Dr. Paige Patterson. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to walk out the door. And you're on your own. 
I've been here 14 years faithfully preaching the Word of God. And when somebody can come back and say, well, this guy did this 30 years ago, and his whole group turn on him, I'm telling you, that's just about as sorry a, a loyalty as I've seen. That's just about it. There was a time when men of God, I remember when I was a young boy working in the sawmill there with my daddy, we'd have revival. They'd shut that whole sawmill down. That evangelist and that preacher would go through that whole sawmill encouraging men and, and, and praying with men and inviting them to come to the revival. They did the same thing for the Methodists they did for the Baptist. I'll never forget. In uh, 1975, I was in history. I love history. East Texas Baptist. There were two history teachers. Dr. Seth Walton, and I loved Dr. Seth Walton. I loved him. I just couldn't sit in his class. Dr. Walton would just talk and look around up here at the stars. He never would look at you. And I thought, I'll sleep through this whole thing. Somebody got to look at me and make sure I'm awake. The other one, they said, man, she's tough. Dr. Polly Davis. We called her No Neck Davis. She came in that room, and she started talking history when she got in there. And she would walk up and down the aisle looking at you in the eye to make sure you were awake, talking history the whole time. And one day she said one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. She said, if things keep going the way they're going, there'll come a time when the pendulum will cross. And those behind the Iron Curtain and in communist countries will have more freedom than we do in America. And we all just died laughing. We just died laughing. That's exactly what's happened. Everything got to be politically correct here. Well, I'm telling you, you didn't hire a politically correct preacher. I go to our schools. Oh, no, you can't bring a Bible in here and preach. And, oh, my goodness, no. Good grief, that doesn't have any place in our place. I'm walking down a dirt road in Kenya. Miss Barbie was on that trip. Were you, were you with us, Barbie? On, were you at that school we went to? You wasn't at that. That was just me and that interpreter. I, I tell you, I'm so hot. I'm so tired. And uh, I thought, my soul, there's nothing out here but just woods. And we topped the hill. And here come three Kenyans to greet us. And I asked my interpreter, I said, you, you don't think they're coming to cut our head off or anything, do you? Do, do we need to be running and get a head start on them? And I, no, 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 no. And back there nestled in the woods was a, was a school with like 700 kids in it in the middle of nowhere. And they wanted to know what we were doing. A white man walking down a road in Kenya is a big deal. You want to know why he's there. And so the interpreter told them and everything. They took us off that road, put us in a room, brought us cold water, brought us fresh fruit, got everything set, emptied that whole school with students out under the trees, and I preached for 30 minutes to them using the Word of God. And all I could think about, Dr. Polly Davis. I mean, you can go preach the Bible in 
Hungary, Poland, they'll shut down businesses. They'll shut down schools. They're hungry for the Word of God. Everywhere but America. Everywhere but America. They lack discernment. See, and I've shared this with you, but I want to give it to you again because I want you to understand it. Discernment is not telling the difference between right and wrong. You've got a, a Bible here that will tell you what's right and what's wrong. Discernment is telling the difference between what is almost right and what is right. Because the devil will attack you and he'll make you. You're watching some of these people on TV who are almost right. They're just crazy as a road lizard. One of the commentators I read, I looked at it. He said discernment into the future. Discernment was looking into the future and seeing what is to come from the decisions made today. That's rich now. That's deep. Looking into the future and being able to tell what decisions you've made today, how that's going to affect the future. You see in Judges 3, 5, later on, this same group, they've been in slavery eight years. Eight years. Because why? Because these people's parents did not obey God. Mm. They said, hey, let, let's make them our slaves. Let's give tribute to them. I mean, we don't want to fetch water. We don't want to cut wood. We don't want to haul supplies around. We don't want to plow. We, we've got a better idea than God. Let's don't get rid of them. A lot of times we call people who have discernment, and I'm just telling you the truth now, we call them pickers of knit because they're nitpickers. But they've got discernment to see in the future, if we do this, this is what's going to happen to our kids and our grandkids. And while the greatest generation that's ever lived, I think, on the face of the earth, that came out of World War II, that rebuilt America, the greatest generation of all sat right here and let them take the Word of God out of schools and governments and everything else. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, Let me just make a couple more statements. I'm through, I promise. The spiritual slave that you choose today to have could very well be the spiritual slave that enslaves your children or your grandchildren. I'm going to get real nosy here just for a moment. I don't mean to be ugly. I hope you know my heart. But that old boy that you keep letting come around your house, you know he's not right with God. You know he's not living right. But you let him keep hanging around your house, he's going to come back to slavery. That little old girl that's loose morals and, and, and you know, you say, well, I feel sorry for her. You know, she's living a rough life and all of this. She's going to be raising your grandchildren. Uh, 
All because these people compromised on separation. That, that thing you keep doing, you put off. I don't want to get in the middle of all of this, but I just want to mention it. A lot of things have happened in the last 40 years in our country and in our Christian culture. I'm still one of those that don't think alcohol has a place anywhere. But I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people that can handle a drink and not bother them at all. They really are. And amen. But you see, the problem is you're sowing those seeds that those kids are going to see. And what you can handle this time, the next generation cannot handle it. Delayed obedience is the same thing as partial obedience. We didn't accept delayed obedience from our kids. I, I wouldn't. When I told one of them to take out the trash, now this don't apply for husbands and wives. If I tell my wife I'm going to take out the trash, I don't have to be reminded two weeks of it. I'll get it out. <laughs> but when I told one of my kids to take out the trash when they were kids, they knew better than to say, well, I'll think about it. They knew better. And yet, some of the very things that God has told us to do we sit here and say, Lord, I'll pray about that. Well, what are you praying about? If God told you to do it, do it. What, what are you praying about? Well, it's delayed obedience. No, that's called disobedience. You remember in Judges 3, now these kids of the generation before, I can't help but wonder if there's not still some Jewish daddies who are alive over here that's not looking out there at their kids in slavery and in, in, in bondage over there to the Ephraimites and all of that and just cannot help. The Bible says God delivered them for eight years. Don't blame it on the devil. It was God. Delivered them over there eight years. I can't help if there wasn't some thing, but there's some daddy sitting over there saying, baby, I'm so sorry. Son, I'm so sorry you're having to go what you're going through. It's just because I wasn't the man I needed to be 25 years ago. And because of that, you're going through this. I'm so sorry. See, you got folk like Lot. I got to quit. He's pitching his tent toward Sodom. You know why? Because he's got green grass on his mind today. And he hasn't thought about the fire and brimstone of the future. I'm telling you this morning, I pray this service would be a time when families could grip together. Say, look, because I'm going to tell you, in the middle of all this stuff, it's not all doom and gloom. You repent and get your heart right with God. God can change any situation you're in. God can do whatever he wants to. And I can't help but think today, 
that maybe there's some mamas and daddies that's saying, you know, we've not done what God told us to do. And I might not can go back and help the past, but I can prepare for the future. I can do some things right. Man, <laughs> I got to quit. Dear God, there are those in this place today that maybe they're sitting here lost without you because of something that's happened 10, 20 years ago. Oh God, I'm praying today that your Holy Spirit would break the bondage and that today they would be saved. That they would realize they're a sinner and realize they need to come to Jesus and be saved. There are others in this place that they, they've worked for you and they've done good for you, but Lord, the truth is they, they quit somewhere along the line because of their lack of total surrender to the Father. Would you remind us again in this place that everything we have is because of your grace. Everybody wants to come preach at Woodland Hills because of the music. I mean, good music covers up a multitude of bad preaching. We've been experiencing that for many years in this place. Man, how blessed it is. Hallelujah. Whew. All right, turn if you would to the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 16 is where we'll start. Actually, the last verse of chapter 15. But Joshua...